Isaiah chapter 9, please. A familiar portion of scripture. And so we want to look at the word of God. We have cut the service a little bit short, but we're not cutting the preaching short, amen? <laughs> you are all, I know, everyone's waiting to go. And so I've got plenty of time. <laughs> that right, Pastor Werner? Hey? Okay, I thought so. Oh, praise the Lord. What happened to me? Computer this morning, but anyway, these things happen. Um, So, what I wanted to do this morning is I wanted to consider the incarnation as we know it, is a term that describes for us that God became a man. Hallelujah. And just that thought in itself is such a wonderful concept and reality that we find in Jesus Christ because we realise just what that means and the fact that God has become a man in the form of Jesus Christ and and all the purpose and plan of God that we find that is established for us in the scriptures. But just it's a, it's a fascinating reality. It's a fascinating thing to behold that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, that God would become a man. God himself would redeem men from their sins. And we find this is what the gospel message is all about and what so many people sometimes tend to overlook. And not only that... When we talk about God becoming a man, for so, for so many uh, in the world and also in the professing church and so forth, we find that many wrestle with this concept. How can Jesus be God? And so in our little finite, puny minds, we try and grasp these, um, these concepts and realities uh, because when you think of the issue, of the incarnation, when you think of the reality that God becomes a man, uh, it is something that is the, to the human mind is too difficult for us to fully comprehend. I mean, uh, it's unsearchable and incomprehensible in certain ways because uh, we can't, in our minds, dissect it to the point where we make a full rational, logical uh, 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 rationale of it. And so, therefore, many seek to, um, you know, um, uh, deny the the, uh, the deity of Christ, and we have all these false teachings, and we have all these concepts regarding the Trinity, and and uh, and so forth. But the incarnation is a fact. It's clearly revealed to us in Scripture that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. And uh, that, that whole concept is such a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I want us to see that this morning as we around the Word of God because the Scripture tells us uh, that, uh, the, that great is the controversy. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. The mystery of godliness. It is revealed because we see it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It's something that we can identify But yet, uh, when it comes to its full comprehension, there's a mystery that surrounds it. 
But the reality is, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 3.16, God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world and received up in glory. And so I want to consider a text this morning in Isaiah chapter 9 and it's a familiar, no doubt a familiar portion of scripture but it kind of captures uh, the essence of what we want to consider because today especially it's the Lord's Day. Amen? <laughs> oh, it happens to be Christmas Day too but it's the Lord's Day and we're here, amen, because it's the Lord's Day. That's our pattern, that's our routine. We come and we worship God. And the world uh, gets all religious at this time, but you see, for us, it's another day which we worship the Lord from day to day. Amen. And so, um, but nevertheless, in the fact that we are uh, in the, the world and the, the realities that surround it at the present moment, uh, let us look at this issue of, uh, of Isaiah in which I want to preach to you a message of entitled, a, a Child is Born and a Son is Given. So let's read it. And let's identify the promised Messiah and the titles that are being given to him. And mind you, they are titles that are exclusive to God. So when we talk about the incarnation, when we talk about the deity of Christ, we are dealing with these titles that we will find in our text that are exclusive to God alone and that reveal to us the true nature of Christ himself. Verse 6, Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders, or shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this forward even forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this praise the Lord the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this he'll perform a number of things but firstly we find in verse 6 this is a prophecy that is specific as it relates to Christ and uh, as in Christmas time, they make great emphasis on the fact that a child is born. And uh, so much so, but the scripture says that a son is given. And so when we talk about a child is born, so many just see it in the context of the, the humanly aspect and Christ being the son of man. And so there is an aspect there. Obviously, Christ is a, a, child, a child is born in a literal sense. But Isaiah is also pointing out the divine aspect that is associated with the coming of this child and the scripture says a son is given. Unto us a child is born, but a son is given. And in that context, that son is from God himself. The son of God, Jesus Christ manifested in the flesh. The son is given. And what a wonderful reality, what a wonderful concept this is as foretold by the prophets right throughout the scriptures. And so we see that uh, who is Jesus Christ? Now this is obviously a very uh, rhetorical question to us but in the context of the age in which we live in who is Jesus? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is God himself and, and uh, Sean touched upon it as he read this morning and James has touched on something that I want to touch on a little later as well but in Isaiah chapter 7 
verse 14. The Bible says, this is another prophecy specifically related to the virgin birth, or conception and birth of Christ. It says in verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isn't his name Jesus? And uh, Sean read and it talked about they call him Jesus. But this issue of, of Emmanuel is something that Matthew quotes in, his, in the Gospel in chapter 1 and he, he directly uh, brings forth this scripture, relates it to Christ uh, and he's quick to tell us Emmanuel is God with us. God is with us. And so the, the virgin shall conceive and a son has been born and the scripture says, and she, he called his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. What a thought, what a concept, what's something to behold. You see, uh, this is not figurative, this is literal. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh and this is what makes it so wonderful. This is what makes the birth of Christ such an awesome and wonderful thing to consider because it's literal. Jesus Christ is God. And so many, when we speak these words, so many try to wrap their minds around it and they can't, so they invent all these different doctrines and teachings to try and, and, and make some sense out of it. But in all that they're doing is they're undermining that which is clearly stated and revealed to us in the Scripture. You see, you're not going to work it all out. The issue that we're talking about is based on faith. Can you say Amen. We believe what we're told. Well, why? Well, that's not for you to know. How? Well, God tells us what we need to know. In the beginning was God. Oh, but how? See, the Christian life is based on faith. It's not that it's not stated. It's not that it's not clear to us. We just sometimes, we just want, we just want to make all these demands or we want to fit God into our little brains and yet we uh, and therefore we this is where we run into problems and error but you see that which is clearly revealed that which is clearly stated is what it is and we accept it by faith and that's the basis of christianity this is how it works but just speaking further again we can see some of the other aspects that relate to uh, christ in his incarnation uh, or oh God in his incarnation into Christ in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 there's another familiar portion of scripture the voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God and so this is Isaiah the prophet and we know as we read this we are familiar with it's, uh, uh, where it fits in because John the Baptist makes a quote of it himself and as he is the forerunner of Christ he said who are you are you the one and he says no I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord and the word here is uh, of uh, Yahweh prepare the way for Jehovah hallelujah make a highway uh, for our God because God is coming Jesus is coming God was manifest in the flesh. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, the eternally blessed God, so the Scripture tells us. 
we can go to Hebrews chapter 1 in verse number 5 this is what makes Christ so distinct he's not an angel as so uh, the Jehovah Witnesses would have us believe in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 5 it says to which of the angels did he ever say you are my son today I have begotten you and again I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son but when he again brings the firstborn into the world he says let all the angels of God worship him worship him and in verse 8 of Hebrews 1 it goes on to say but to the son he says your throne O God is forever and ever scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom and so again we have this reference and there are many throughout the Bible Old Testament, New Testament throughout, they're scattered throughout the whole scripture that point to the deity of Christ the, 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 the aspect of the Trinity Jesus being God, Jesus the Son of God and so we find these, uh, these, uh, these uh, scriptures that are revealed to us, but in the book of Isaiah, he's picking up on the same concept, I guess, or thought uh, when we talk about what we just read in Hebrews 1.8 because a, a scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. So there's something distinctive about Christ, amen. And uh, we can, you know, at this time everyone looks at the baby Jesus, but I tell you, uh, he's more than a baby. Can you say Amen much more than a baby. And Isaiah is talking about the fact that a child is born, a son is given, and this son was given by God, as we know, he was born to die. He was given to us as a sacrifice. Uh, I stated this when I preached on the streets and I think it's important that we understand it. I have no doubt that we do. But Jesus' life was never taken from him. He gave his life, even as he hung on that cross, he said it is finished and he gave up his spirit. A son is given, given to the point of death, having laid down his life. And so a son is given. God gave his only begotten son. You see? And he, in, in, this, in this context, not just in the fact that he was born, but in the fact that he died. That was his ultimate purpose and that was the plan of God as he hung there. But you see, Isaiah in our text... Sorry, I thought I just uh, dozed off. Well, the, the, the volume dozed off, not that I did. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Now listen to these words. Now, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Now I want to just state that there's a twofold aspect that's related to what Isaiah is talking about. There's a, there's a prophecy that relates clearly to Christ. And it relates to Christ in his first coming and it relates to Christ in his second coming. And there's truths that apply to the future plan and purposes of God that are still future and there are things that have already been fulfilled that reply to us even here and now. And I want us to see that, I want us to embrace that, I want us to identify it because that's what, that's what makes uh, 
the son who was given so special to us because we know the truth and we know Christ. But it says here, the government shall, will be upon his shoulder. And so, because the, the reality is, is Jesus Christ is destined to rule. Can you say amen? He is destined to rule. He already rules in the, in the kingdom of God. But in the earth and in, and in the, uh, the period in which we find ourselves, there is a process that's being an, uh, uh, fulfilled and an ultimate uh, destiny in which the earth will take and we know that Christ will eventually set up his kingdom on the earth and sit upon the throne of David and his kingdom will be established on this earth. But you see, it's not yet. But it will be. But you know what? The kingdom of God, amen, is already in our hearts. The kingdom of God is already set up. The kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. So we already have a, the first fruits of the kingdom that are already set, set up and established. The rest will come at a later point, amen, but we are already partakers of this inheritance. And this is what makes the, uh, uh, Christ and the gospel so, such a wonderful thing to us. And so and the government will be upon his shoulders. This word is obviously relates to a kingdom. It relates to an empire. And so we know that he already reigns and he rules in heaven and on earth ultimately where his, his throne will be established. You know, one of the things that we find hard to, uh, in our Western world to grasp is uh, this issue of the theocratic rule of God because we live in a democracy. And so, you know, everyone's taught about people power. Somehow it's about we, what we want. But you see, we're talking about a kingdom here and we're talking about a ruler. We're talking about one who is destined to rule as king of a kingdom and when we grasp these concepts and realities uh, because they already apply to us as Christians, uh, we talk about Christ being our Lord and Saviour or Saviour and Lord and he must be our Lord, he must be our King. He must rule in our hearts, he must take precedence and the government and exercise that authority and dominion in our own hearts and in our own lives. But you see, we're talking about the King of Kings the government will rest upon, will be upon his shoulder and he will reign and he will rule. And this is what makes the, the whole concept of Christ so wonderful because even when Christ laid in that manger, even when he uh, laid there and those, uh, uh, the, the wise men, uh, they came to Christ and uh, they were looking for he who was the king the king of the Jews. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, the king of the Jews. He's a king. And this emphasis was made uh, throughout uh, the course of his ministry here on earth. And obviously the Bible speaks of his future advent. But you see, the truth is, is that he is a king. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate said to him, are you a king? He says, my kingdom's not this world. But yeah, you rightly say that I am. He is a king, amen. And that's why uh, as he hung upon that cross, it said, Jesus, the king of the Jews. The king. And the king is coming, hallelujah. The king is coming. 
And so we talk about the lordship and the kingship of Christ and that which relates to that which is future, but amen, we already have him in our hearts. Praise the Lord Christ in you, the hope of glory, the King of kings. And so there's also the aspect in Revelation when it talks, the Bible talks about he's going to return and establish his kingdom but in doing so he's going to pour out his wrath upon the wicked but in Revelations chapter 19 it talks about this and it refers to the king of kings the king of kings is coming and so when we talk about Jesus when we talk about the child we're talking about a king who's destined to rule he's destined to rule and he rules in our hearts already, or so should be. But he will ultimately rule from, as we will see, the throne of David in Jerusalem in the millennial reign of Christ. But you see, Isaiah in our text talks about unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called. Now these are these titles that are associated with Christ Jesus. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's just touch upon these. The first one being wonderful. You know the word translated Hebrew, wonderful is a miracle. And when you talk about a child is born and a son is given, when you consider the incarnation of, of Christ, God in the flesh, and you see it, you stand in awe, it is a miracle. Can you say amen? And it is a wonder. Talk about the wonders of the world, there's the greatest wonder of all. And it is wonderful. God became a man. Wonderful. And uh, in Judges chapter 13, we have a um, Manoah there and uh, he sees the angel of the Lord as the angel of the Lord comes to him and his wife. And, uh, and uh, he says, uh, what is your name? And he says, uh, why do you ask my name since it is wonderful? And the angel of the Lord is a Christophany. It's Christ, the manifestation of Christ uh, there, right there in the Old Testament. Uh, and we see this again. We're talking about God in the flesh. We're talking about, uh, well, here in this case, a manifestation of Christ. Uh, but nevertheless, he is wonderful. And when we talk about the Son that is given, when we talk about Jesus Christ, one of the first things that we consider is that He is a miracle of God, that God will become a man. And it is wonderful to behold. Wonderful He is. And so this word wonderful speaks of uh, his, his nature, His character, who He is, and He is to be worshipped. Hallelujah. We have also the word counsellor, wonderful counsellor. And as a, as a king who will rule, he's the best counsellor, can you say amen? <laughs> he's the one that he will rule uh, from Jerusalem and he will rule perfectly, amen? We look at some of the world leaders now and we're, uh, and we're in despair uh, there's some of the counsel that goes on, but when Christ rules, uh, amen, when he takes up his throne, he, he, he will be perfect as God himself is perfect. 
But you see, what also makes this, this, this title special is not just what it relates to in a future kingdom, uh, in the millennial reign of Christ, but rather even what it speaks to us now as Christians. Because we already have the counsellor, can you say amen? The Bible speaks about this and Jesus tells us in John's Gospel in chapter 14, verse 16, he says, And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper or counsellor or advocate, the advocate of the Father, the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You see, Jesus is promising us another And that word helper there in the Greek refers to counsellor, advocate. And it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. We have an anointing that teaches us. The Spirit guides us into all truth. He is our counsellor. He represents Christ to us. And he makes, reveals Christ to us. We have an anointing from God that teaches us. Amen? The Holy Spirit of God. As we read the Word of God, the Holy Spirit enlightens our minds. He teaches us the Scriptures. He opens our understanding and he brings a counsel to our lives that builds us up in the faith, that makes us a complete in him, that gives us assurance and confidence and such strength, strength of faith. We have a counsellor. So we're already, when we talk about wonderful counsellor, these titles are already operative and expressive in our lives. We find the issue, the next reference to mighty God. We've already touched upon this. But again, how much more specific can you get? (laughs) I mean, the Son is the mighty God. And so we've already made reference to the deity of Christ, but there it is clearly stated for us in the text. And then it also says, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. Now I want us just to ponder this for a moment because this is truly special. Because the whole concept of Father God is is something that is so foreign to so many. Even those that profess to be religious and all the professions of so-called religion in the world, they have no concept and relationship to God as Father that we have as Christians and children of God. Can you say amen? He is the everlasting Father of all eternity. He was and is and always will be everlasting Father, the Father of eternity. And He is in our hearts. And the Bible says that we have received, not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit of God. It's in us that cries out, Abba, Father. And the relationship that we have with the Father is so profound, it's so unique, it's so special that we must see it for what it is. Because, like I said, so many don't even have it, those even that profess to be religious. I mean, Islam has no concept of Father God. None. Allah is an impersonal God that sits up in the heavens and that's it, you know. Uh, There's no relationship. The whole aspect of Father is one that uh, was introduced by Christ when they said, "Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. Pray, our Father who art in heaven. And he wanted to make known this, this, this reality and this concept because uh, uh, we have those, uh, who is it? Um, even Jehovah Witnesses, they, they have no concept of the Father God. Actually, they were only calling him Jehovah God. Jehovah. They can only dress him as Jehovah. 
And uh, uh, so, you know, so there's no concept there. And Catholics, you know what? They have no relationship to Father God because according to Catholic doctrine, you can't go to, to the Father directly. You have to go to Mary because she's in charge. You know, or you have to go to a saint and you have to go through these avenues. You can't go directly to the Father. And it undermines all these teachings. They undermine that which is revealed to us in the Scripture. And so um, uh, these are all false teachings. They're false doctrines. They undermine the truth of the Scriptures and they impede upon one's true relationship to God as Father. He is Father God. He's the everlasting Father. He's my Father. He's your Father. Even the mystics and so many others, they see God as some, you know, energy, some force. Or, you know, because they can't, uh, they can't get their head around the Trinity, they make the Holy Spirit some kind of a, a force, an energy, rather than a person in whom, amen, we have relationship. Praise the Lord. And so we have that which is the everlasting Father. Then we find the last one here, the Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. This is, the, this is the Son that is given. This is the child that is born. He is the Prince of Peace. And it is important to note because James made reference to this earlier and, uh, when he was singing because uh, you hear, you know, peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Well, that, in what context is that? Because I tell you now, Jesus is not talking about world peace. He's talking about peace that is bestowed upon his children, those that receive him. Jesus clearly said, don't think that I've come to bring peace on earth. I've come to bring a sword. And in end, men's enemies will be those of his own household. He said, I'll sit, against, I'll sit the, uh, 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 daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law and, so, and father against son and it, the list goes on. And Christ says, don't think I've come to bring peace on earth. See, the peace, of, uh, uh, the, 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 the good, the, the, the peace on earth and goodwill towards men is, is God is wanting to give his people who will turn to him his peace. Because the world will never have peace without, outside of the Prince of Peace, will they? And even when they do uh, assume that, the Bible says when they say peace, peace, then sudden destruction will come upon them. There will be no peace in the earth, there will be no peace in, in Jerusalem until the King of Kings comes and takes his throne, as foretold, the throne of David, as it says in here in verse 7, then when he comes, then the earth will experience in the millennial reign of Christ, the peace of God. Until then, there will be no peace on earth in the context of, 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 of Christ. That peace will only be as it applies to his people because we have the peace of God in us, the Prince of Peace. And the only way that you can have the peace of God is when you make peace with God. The sinner is in a place of hostility. The sinner is separated from God. The sinner is, uh, is at enmity with God and then when the sinner repents, when the sinner gets right with God, they make peace with God and then they receive the Prince of Peace and that peace, amen, is something that is precious and is a treasure to us as Christians this morning because we have already the Prince of Peace. And the scripture states that the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. How's that, eh? 
you want to try and grasp this and put it in your finite mind? <laughs> it ain't going to happen. You see, again, we're dealing with a dimension, we're dealing with a mystery, we're dealing with a reality that we are having, having Christ in us. We have a peace, the Bible says, that surpasses all understanding. And the scripture tells us in Colossians 3 that that peace is to rule in our hearts. To rule in our hearts because we're living in a world that wants to up, that's created with such upheaval. There's suffering. There's so many things going on around us from day to day, week to week, year to year. And yet uh, in Christ, we have the Prince of Peace. That's why we can come to church today, amen. And we can have genuine peace because we know and have the Prince of Peace this morning. Can you say amen? Jesus said, my peace, I give to you, not as this world gives. My peace I give to you, not as this world. This world can't give nothing. And so when we consider these things, again, it makes Christ all so wonderful. How glorious. How awesome. We stand in awe of Jesus Christ, who, of God who became a man. See, we have, remember I said to you that this whole issue of Isaiah's prophecy, though it relates to a future, uh, it relates to two advents, the first coming and the second coming of Christ. And so we are already partakers of all of these things. And we already have the first fruit of these things in us. Glory to God. His government should already be ruling in our hearts. Can you say amen? That's what, that's the reality. He's king of my heart. He's Lord of my life. He's already ruling and reigning as I yield to him, as I submit to him, as I walk with him, as I obey him, as I fellowship with him. His government is already ruling in my heart. I'm walking with God. I'm, I'm in fellowship with God. And how precious and how wonderful it is. We have received of his fullness. We are complete in him. And these, these, these truths, these realities are deeply personal to those that have been redeemed. Can you say amen? That's why when we... I think that's why I get... I'm a Grinch. There's certain, I've got to tell you, there's certain aspects I don't like about Christmas. I'm going to tell you straight. <laughs> it, I, it actually gets under my skin. Because why? Maybe I'm a Grinch, but maybe I'm just passionate about what is truth. I'll leave that up to you. Because I, I, see, I see so much pseudo-Christianity that it makes me vomit. Because we as the redeemed, we have the truth. We know the truth. And we boast in the truth. We glory in the truth. We love the truth. And that's why when I come to church on the Lord's Day, be it on Christmas Day as it is today, my mind is totally fixed on worshipping God as I do every other day. Because I, that's, that's what it's all about. I walk with God. Sure, we can acknowledge the, the birth of Christ and, the, and we can make it relevant to things, but I tell you what, there's just something in me that doesn't click. And don't try and change it. <laughs> Now, but I say that because we're the redeemed of the Lord. And when I read these texts and I read these words, my heart rejoices 
It rejoices with such joy, with such passion. And I want everyone to know this. I want us as children of God to experience it. I want the world to know it. And so when I see the falseness of things, I get all, I get all worked up because, and for good reason, because it's just, it's just false, it's just so wrong, it's just so much of the world. Because what we're talking about to so many is so foreign. So let's move on. <laughs> but we worship such a wonderful God. Actually, let us conclude, and I'm going to look at verse 7. Verse 7. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You see, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Because having already begun in the hearts and having already the kingdom of God in our hearts, that's that's just the first part of what's coming. Can you say amen? Because there's coming a time, as the scripture says in verse 7, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. You see, when in terms of the context of the whole world, you know, I just heard today that, uh, I read it this morning, uh, that, um, uh, that for the first time the US didn't veto some, uh, a, a UN sanction against Israel, or whatever, however you want to, what terms you wouldn't put in. Obama, before he finishes, he just wants to, you know, uh, they just want to stir the pot, and Israel is outraged and all the rest of it. But you know what? Let it continue. Let the things go on, because there's an ultimate plan and purpose of God. But you know what? Doesn't matter what happens, what this world does. Uh, the King of Kings is going to rule, and he's going to rule, Amen, from Jerusalem, and he's going to sit on the throne of. David and he's going to set things in order. Can you say amen? He's going to establish things as they ought to be. And this is serious because in doing so, the Bible tells us that the King of Kings is coming and he's going to pour out his wrath upon, upon the wicked. Now listen to what it says here. It says, that from that time forward, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Or in other words, the passion of God, the purpose of God, the, the full intent of God, he is determined in his purpose and plan to bring this to pass. Nobody's going to hinder it. The zeal of the Lord will perform it. God has declared it, he has purposed it and it will happen and doesn't matter. He he who sits in the heavens shall laugh because God's going to have the final say. Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to sit and, and you know we talk about the first coming of Christ and he came in the character of a lamb and he was a suffering servant. That's why the Jews of that time missed out because they were looking for the Messiah to come and take up that throne of David and destroy them from the oppression uh, that they were experiencing under the Roman Empire and, and their enemies. Uh, and it didn't turn out that way. Yet Christ didn't come in that character. He came in the character of the Lamb. But you see, in his second coming, we're talking about the line of the tribe of Judah. Can you say Amen. And the lion, in, as we know, he's a, he's a king of the jungle. 
Well, Christ is the king. Can you say amen? And when Christ comes back, he's going to destroy his enemies. He's going to destroy Antichrist. He's going to destroy the wicked and he's going to set up his rule and reign and uh, it doesn't matter what Islam says, God has no son. I don't care what it's uh, it's said. It's going to happen, full stop. God said it and so there it is. I believe it. How? how? Well, I don't know exactly. Maybe you do. I haven't got it worked out. But I know it's going to happen. It's stated and so be it and I stand on that promise. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. He will establish his throne. And you know how God is going to make himself known to this world? Through judgment. In Psalm chapter 9, verse 16, it says, The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. That's how you know who God is. That's how the world's going to understand the concept of God is when he finally brings the judgment upon the wicked. And in, in Psalm chapter 9, if you go back a few verses in verse 7 and 8, but the Lord, will, the Lord shall endure forever. He has prepared his throne for judgment. This is serious business. When the king comes back, he's going to do business. In verse 8, he shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall administer judgment for the people's in uprightness. See, God is going to judge. And this is what Paul the Apostle, when he preached in Acts 17 and in verse 31, he said that God has appointed a day. He's taken it straight out of here. He will appointed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness by whom he has, by whom the man, by the man whom he has ordained. And he's given assurance of this by raising him from the dead. Jesus Christ. God is coming back. Did you hear that? God is coming back. Jesus is coming back. He's taking the throne of David and he's going to reign and rule and execute judgment and justice. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The passionate purpose and plan of God that was set in order before the foundation of the world because God in his foreknowledge always knew what was going to take place and therefore he had predetermined what he was going to do and this is his plan and this is his purpose. And he's going to do it. The wrath of God is coming upon a world that doesn't even know it. But thank God this morning that we can sit here in the house of God, amongst the people of God, those that are redeemed together, and we can look at this scripture and say, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And we can look at these names, wonderful, counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, and we can understand them in the context of that which is future, praise the Lord, but we know them now. We know him now and how wonderful and how precious it is that he is all these things to us now. This is so sweet, so special and I pray that you see that and you know that and that you experience that this morning. Glory to God, we are saved. The Son is given, the Son will rule. Blessed be his name. Father, we just thank you this morning.
for your son that was given. A child was born, undoubtedly. And a son was given. God, you became a man. Emmanuel, God with us. Christ Jesus. Father, we just thank you that not only did you become a man, but you humbled yourself to the point of death even the death of the cross in which you subjected yourself as a sacrifice and when you made Christ an offering for sin. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to make him an offering for sin as the prophet Isaiah foretold us. And Lord, after it was accomplished, Jesus gave up his spirit and he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he gave up. And he gave us his life. Thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice of Christ. Thank you for the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the fact that we are children of God, that we have been adopted into the family of God, that we have received such an inheritance, such assurance. So many things for us to rejoice about, to be in wonder, to be filled with adoration, to be filled with joy, to be filled, Lord, with your spirit. We just love you this morning, God. And I want to give you the glory, the glory that is due unto your name, Lord, not as this world gives. Their, their worship is in vain, O oh Lord, but our worship is one that is built on truth. It is one that is built on understanding. It is one that is built on our love and adoration because we love you, Lord, because you first loved us. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord.